Well, before we begin our study tonight, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kitsheno b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. One of the last things that Yeshua did was one of the most important for his disciples. He opened their minds, the scripture teaches us. He opened their minds so that they could understand the complete, the comprehensive message of the scriptures. And until this happened, there were some things that they just could not receive or they couldn't embrace or they couldn't fit it in with their prior understanding. And that's because they were adding Yeshua's teachings on top of ideas they already had and wrong understandings or incomplete understandings. And he had to clear up misunderstandings. And that required something quite unusual. They needed their minds to be opened so that they could understand the big picture, the comprehensive and complete picture. Now, the same thing is true for us. Each one of us reads the scriptures with preconceived notions, some good, some not good, some wrong ideas, some incomplete or erroneous beliefs. And this is true for every kind of person, Jew or Gentile, Christian and Jew. And it's, it's like we need the rubble in our minds cleared out. I, I really love that word rubble. It's a word that Sandy used this week during our scripture studies together. We love to study together and talk about what we're seeing and pray together and consider what the scriptures are speaking to us. And they're always timely and always useful. And as we were discussing this passage we're going to read, um, Sandy had this word rubble, R-U-B-B-L-E. And it's, it's the debris, it's the detritus after construction or when ruins have fallen into disrepair. And each of us has some rubble that needs to be cleared away. You can't build a new building on top of rubble. You can't lay a solid foundation on top of rubble. But Yeshua's disciples had some rubble that had to be cleared away from their thinking, and so do we. And we're going to read tonight a fascinating passage from the Gospel of Luke that will help us recognize the need that Yeshua's disciples had, and that I hope will also help us too. Tomorrow, Saturday, we'll have another Torah service live from the sanctuary and live streamed on Facebook as well. And it's very important, as we often talk about, for us to give the scriptures themselves, the Torah, a prominent place in our Shabbat service and the reading of the Torah and the Haftor portion and readings from the Brit HaKadoshah, the New Testament as well. It's important that we read the scriptures together. And it's also important that we grasp or comprehend the big picture, as well as the details of what we read. Yeshua's disciples needed help. And so let's look at Luke chapter 24, which describes some of the last things Yeshua said and did. So starting in Luke 24, 44, it says, Yeshua said to them, his disciples, 
these are the words I spoke to you while I was still with you, because this is after his death, burial, and resurrection, and before his ascension to heaven and his return to the heavenly realm. And he said, these, these are the words that I spoke to you when I was with you prior. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Torah of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Everything must be fulfilled. And that means everything must be brought into fullness. It doesn't only mean everything must be um, accomplished as if fulfilled means terminated. We did that and now it's behind us. No, everything has to be brought into the fullness. All the things that were written in the scriptures. And then verse 45, and this is really a key verse for what we're looking at tonight, and that will help us understand even some uh, things about the Torah portion for this week. Verse 45, and then Yeshua opened their minds to understand the scriptures, or he opened their minds to comprehend all the scriptures. And he told them, this is verse 46, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer, and he will rise from the dead on the third day, and in his name, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to all nations beginning in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. And then verse 49, Yeshua said, behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. So let's, let's take some time with this passage. Everything must be fulfilled. Everything must be filled up and brought into fullness. Uh, everything that was written, and it's really important, sometimes people understand fulfillment or the word fulfill in, in the scriptures as, as if it were there were a prediction of some sort, and it has to uh, the event that was predicted has to take place, and then that's behind us. Or when you apply that idea to the Torah itself, and you say the Torah has to be fulfilled, that sounds to many people like it needs to be um, accomplished and then set aside. But that's not really what it means. It, it means it needs to be brought into its fullness and its full purpose. In other words, to be filled full is what fulfillment means. And then in this passage, it says everything that is that's written in the Torah, the prophets, the Psalms. So we have the Tanakh being described there, the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. He opened the minds of his disciples to understand the scriptures, to understand the Tanakh, because if, if you think about it, the, the Gospels and the Epistles and all the writings of the New Testament had not yet um, been created. So to understand the Scriptures meant to understand the Jewish Scriptures. Many translations dance around this idea, or they reflect a different understanding um, than what the text says in its, its I think, full, full meaning. But 
this passage says that Yeshua opened their minds so that they could properly put together, that is to join facts or ideas into a comprehensive whole, W-H-O-L-E, something that connected the pieces together. You could say it's like this, that they needed to be able to see the forest and the trees. So he opened their minds so they could comprehend the whole thing, the big picture, the whole picture. And remember, they had been with Yeshua for several years. They had heard his teachings for all those years. They learned from him. And yet at this point, when he's about to return to heaven, something was missing for them. And the solution required that their minds be opened. Now, that doesn't mean that they become open-minded. That's a whole other idea. But rather that their minds would be opened up and the, the wrong ideas or the incomplete ideas or the fragmentary ideas that they had needed to be worked on. Their minds needed to be opened up. You know, sometimes great things happen. You, you learn something and you say, whoa, it blew my mind. It's sort of like that. They needed their minds blown clean, you know, like a leaf blower blowing the leaves out. They needed to be cleaned up. They were like that building site, you know, that has rubble in it. You can't build first. You've got to clear things away. They had preconceived ideas and notions about what the scriptures say and what they mean. And where do these ideas come from? Well, if you think about it, you'll understand this. Everybody has preconceived ideas and notions about what the scriptures say and mean, even people who are ignorant. But people who grew up in Jewish families or Christian families and Messianic families, people who grew up with some familiarity have ideas. Some of them are solid. Some of them are great. Some of them are essential and correct. Where do these ideas come from? Well, what they learned as children is an example. And what they heard from people around them. In fact, sometimes, you know, I notice that we'll have comments from people who are not commenting on what we're teaching from the scriptures. They're commenting on what they learned 40 years ago from somebody else or last week on the internet. They're bringing some ideas from somewhere. So what we hear from the people around us, not only that, but what are some of the, the ideas that are in our heads, some of the understandings we have that keep us from having a complete picture? Well, the ways that each disciple's group, their family group, their denominational group interpreted the scriptures, that was also something that had to be opened up. The Sadducees, for instance, had a way of understanding um, eternal life. They thought it would be without a physical body, that the physical body would die and return to dust, and the spiritual person would live. The Pharisees, on the other hand, at the time of Yeshua, believed that, that the physical body would be resurrected, and it would be a little bit different, but it would come back to life, it would come to life, and then it would be prepared somehow in this resurrection process for eternal life. 
So if you were from a Sadducee, you received ideas of one kind. If you were from a Pharisee, you received ideas of another kind. Now, if you were an Essene, for instance, you didn't trust anything that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were teaching. Even if you agreed with it, you didn't trust them as a source. You didn't consider them reliable. And that was a preconceived notion. And the Essenes were um, people who withdrew from urban life in a sense, and also from the Jewish life that was based in the temple. They considered the whole temple system to be corrupt, and they set up a parallel spiritual life, and they were waiting for Messiah. And so they had their preconceived ideas. You see, not only do people have and groups have their own ideas, but they emphasize certain ideas and ignore other ideas. What are other examples of uh, things that needed to perhaps be cleared up? Uh, their minds needed to be open. Uh, here's one, the traditions that shape their thinking. The, the traditions of their family and of their group shape their thinking, and they may not even even have been aware of it, that they had received traditions from uh, their family, from their, their people group, from their spiritual cohorts together, and they were bringing those traditions into their understanding of who Messiah was. As well, many people had wrong ideas about Messiah but they were generally accepted ideas. One of the wrong ideas that the Jewish people had at that time is that the Messiah would come and he would be victorious over Rome and over the governments and the armies of this world, and he would establish his own government and his own army, if you will, in Jerusalem and in greater Israel, and all the foreigners, all the occupiers, all the, um, the, the others would be driven out never to trouble the Jewish people again. They had that idea that that was the role of Messiah. That was the work of Messiah. And they saw Messiah fitting into their specific traditions and understandings. And that's why many times if we're talking today, now 2,000 some years later about Yeshua, some Jewish people will say, well, that's not how we understand Messiah, because they go back to wrong understandings. But it wasn't just uh, people who didn't believe in Yeshua, it was everybody who had some wrong understanding. The disciples of Yeshua had wrong understandings about Messiah. You see, they brought their past experience and their past understanding to the present moment. And so it was working on them. It affected how they thought. And it, and it touched more than the identity of Yeshua or his atoning sacrifice, much more than that. Every Jewish group 
at the time had their own unique set of understandings. And the same is true today for every Jewish group as well. There are, there are many Jewish groups right now that think that the God of Israel is a total abstraction and that he has no um, personhood and that he can't be and never was in this physical world that we live in. And that's their preconceived notion. It's a wrong idea. It's understandable. It's very popular among many groups of people, many religions and many philosophies um, have that idea about God. However, that is not what the Torah teaches, because the Torah teaches that God came down from heaven and he walked in the garden and he talked with Adam, as an example, or he met and ate with Abraham and with Sarah. These are examples that go against this idea that God was just abstract. And yet, when people read the scriptures right now, and they have that preconceived idea that God is abstract, then when they come across things in the scriptures, or they hear things that you say, or I say, or anybody says, that goes against their preconceived notions, then they dismiss it. When they see in the scriptures that God walked, that God was present, they say, well, that doesn't mean it literally, it doesn't mean it in reality, it means it's just a manner of speaking so that we can, like, think about him, but it's not really true. It's not factually true, and it's not spiritually true. So they had that notion, and they convert ideas because of that. Everyone does it. Every Jewish person can do that. Every Christian person can do that. The same is true today for every Christian group, for every Messianic group. The way we understand, the way we prioritize things shapes how we read the scriptures and what we can see. Yeshua's disciples were with him for years, several years, and the hardest thing for them was his teaching that Messiah needed to suffer. And even when he showed them in scriptures prior to his death, they rejected it. They couldn't see it in the scriptures. It was there but they couldn't see it because they already had ideas that pushed that understanding away. That's why one of the last things and one of the most important things that Yeshua did before he returned to heaven is he was with his disciples and he opened up their minds so that they could hear things and think about things in a fresh way. It's so important. I tell you, when I came across the scripture as a new believer, I used it as a prayer for myself. I said, Lord, open up my mind so that I can comprehend the big picture, the whole picture of the scriptures. There were things that, that didn't fit in with my understanding of reality, not just the scriptures, but reality. I... I had a way of thinking, and that way of thinking intruded upon and narrowed down what I could comprehend. That's the same for the disciples, and it's the same for us. What background do we have? Who taught us? How did they teach us? What religious customs 
did we follow? Those things shape what we read and how we understand them. When I read about the birth of Yeshua in the Gospels, because I didn't grow up in a Christian family, we didn't celebrate Christmas. Christmas wasn't part of our tradition or custom. I don't read those scriptures and then have these childhood memories of uh, a Christmas tree and presents or going to uh, a midnight service or, or having a Christmas Eve service or something like that. I don't have those memories. They are not connected to my experiences. So when a person who does have those memories reads the gospels about the birth of Yeshua, the imprint is already on them about their experience at Christmas as a child. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is these things that we experienced affected our thinking. Now, here's my challenge. It's a big challenge. I think it's an important challenge, but it's going to be useful for you and for many people around you. And that is not to throw out everything. I'm not saying that. And not to act like what you learned that was true isn't true. I would never say that. What I'm saying is, if you can see that what was true about the disciples is true about us, and we also need our minds opened up, if you can understand that, you know what? Then you can pray it. And right now, whether you can respond or not, I just want to pray, Lord, I pray for everyone who's hearing me right now, whose heart is resonating with this, and whose mind is also resonating as well, and who are saying, you know what, Lord, I also need my mind opened up. I pray for each person who is having that awareness that they too want their mind opened up in order to comprehend the big picture. It's so important, Lord. We want that so that we can be more useful to you and we can get more out of the scriptures ourselves. I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you for praying in that direction with me as well. I want to thank you for that. So this idea that our minds need to be opened up. I think it's a really, it's a foundational idea about discipleship. Sometimes people can't become um, successful disciples of Yeshua because their minds haven't been opened up. And every one of us has some stuff we've got to put behind us. It's not always easy. And it's not just a matter of debate or argument or even of, of giving truth. There's also a spiritual process. That's what I want you to see. That's the heart of this passage in Luke chapter 24. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures, to comprehend, to see the whole picture and the big picture. He opened their minds. And if, if you want your mind open up, be simple. That's what I would encourage you to do and say to the Lord, I want my mind opened up. Yeshua opened up their minds. Now, this idea is also spoken of in the Psalms, in Psalm 119, for example, and it is in the form of a prayer to God. And it, it's 
very specific, Psalm 119, verse 18. I would really appreciate if you could, some of you could put that in the comment section for others to see and for future reference for those who watch this video later. And I'll, I'll read a translation that's sort of King James English or even JPS, um, lofty, older English. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy Torah. You see, that's a prayer that the psalmist wrote and prayed. And in, in common English, we could say, Lord, will you open my eyes, my spiritual eyes, so that I can see the wonders and things that have been hidden from me that are in your Torah, that are in your scriptures. You see, it's a prayer. That's what I'm wanting to convey to you. It's, it's not a thought process only, and it's not a rational process only, but it affects our thought processes, and it affects our rational processes, but it's connected to a spiritual condition where we pray where we understand I have a need and I'm going to pray, Lord, open my eyes that I can behold wondrous things out of your Torah. So back to that passage that we were looking at in, in Luke, Yeshua talks about Messiah suffering and rising from the dead on the third day. He talks about repentance and forgiveness of all being proclaimed to all people groups, not just to the Jewish people. And he said to his disciples, you are witnesses. Now, what does that mean? It means you've seen firsthand, and now you need to tell others what you saw. And then there was one more thing. He told them that they needed to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, who was the Holy Spirit. Now, this helps us understand something, that in addition to having our minds opened, in addition to us having access to the scriptures, we also need the Holy Spirit. It's not enough to try to learn without the Holy Spirit. We need his guidance. We need his power. We need his reviving influence. And we need his uh, incredible way of working where he can speak to us through the scriptures and show us things that we can't see otherwise. And that's connected to having open minds. Well, with this in mind, I, I want to connect all of this to our Torah portion and to get to that key point in our Torah portion that I want to emphasize, I want to focus on something, and that is the, the incredible importance of the scriptures and the teaching of the scriptures to us and to all of us and to all believers everywhere all the time. If we truly want to be messianic, if we truly want to be like Yeshua, we need to learn what he did and how he did it and follow his customs and his way of doing things. I'm going to read to you a series of verses, and it'd be good for you to write them down. You may need to listen to this or watch this again, or listen to the podcast, Messianic Jewish Teachings. It's available uh, through your favorite podcast um, portals and programs and apps. Luke 24, 32. 
the disciples said, were not our hearts burning within us as he spoke with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The disciples who encountered Yeshua um, before those last moments had seen him on the road and they didn't even fully recognize him, but there was a moment when they did and, and he opened up the scriptures to them. And then here's, here's some passages that just show you how powerful Yeshua was as a teacher. Matthew 7, verse 29, it says, he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the Torah. And this was uh, a description of how the Jewish rank and file saw Yeshua as being unique as a teacher, an authoritative teacher. Luke 2.47 captures the same thought. And all who heard him, all who heard Yeshua, were astounded at his understanding and his answers. And we're going to continue. Luke 4, verse 32. It says, then Yeshua went down to Capernaum, a town in the Galilee, and on the Shabbat, he began to teach the people. And they were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. Isn't that interesting? You see, even the way that he taught demonstrated his authority, and it was astonishing. It was not always agreeable for the people what they heard, but they recognized this teacher has authority. And so it's important for us to understand Yeshua is our sacrifice. He is our atoning sacrifice. He is our Lord, but he is also our teacher, and he is the one who modeled for us the life that we want to live as well. And he had this kind of astonishing impact, not just on his disciples or those who would become his disciples, but he also had an impact on the people who served in the, um, in the law enforcement body that um, served the chief priests and the Pharisees. Luke, uh, not Luke, John. John 7, verses 45 and 46, describes this one incident. I'm pulling out a context. You'll probably want to read the context. It says, and then the officers returned to the chief priests and the Pharisees who's, who asked them, why didn't you arrest him? Why didn't you bring him in? And their answer was, never has anyone spoken like this man. That was their answer. In other words, he had such authority, we couldn't arrest him. Another example, the last in this series, Matthew 13, verse 52. Yeshua told them, for this reason, every scribe who's been discipled in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old treasures. And what Yeshua was explaining to them is when he opens up the scriptures, he brings out things that are ancient and familiar that, that those who have uh, wisdom and who have been sages recognized uh, 
Um, long ago, those are old treasures, but he also brings out new treasures, things that no one's ever seen, things that no one's ever heard, things that no one's ever understood. And Yeshua says, even scribes could become this kind of teacher if they've been discipled in the kingdom of heaven, in the Lord's kingdom. It's, it's really a beautiful, beautiful description. Now, I want to tie this to our Torah portion. And the Torah portion this week is a continuation of the ideas of Taruma and the building of the sanctuary and the furnishing, the creating by the skilled artisans of all of the things that would go into the ark and the sanctuary and the outer courts and so forth. And um, in Exodus 35, it's a double portion this week, 35 verse 5 there is this statement, take up a collection for the Lord from among yourselves. Anyone whose heart makes him willing is to bring their offering for the Lord. And then a few verses later, Exodus 35, 21, it says everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit made him willing brought the Lord's offering for the work. And then there's this summation of this whole part Exodus 39, verse 42, it says, the people of Israel did all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And Moses saw all the work, and there it was, and they had done it. I love that translation. Exactly as the Lord had ordered, they had done it, and Moses blessed them. So you see, the people were stirred at that time. They had... Um, they had motivation, their hearts were stirred, their spirits were stirred, and they were generous to supply for the sanctuary. They were generous to, to give the precious things that um, Moses had communicated to them and the resources that the skilled artisans knew, needed. They were generous and they did that. And that led up to this moment in Exodus chapter 40, where Everything is anointed that's been um, created for the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. And it says in Exodus 40, verse 9, take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it and consecrate it with all its furnishings, and then it will be holy. And so remember this, that in Hebrew, the word for anoint is from the same root as Mashiach, Messiah. And so wherever you see anointing taking place in the sanctuary, there's something connected to that about Messiah. Well, one last verse from this passage, Exodus 40, verse 20. Moses took the tablets of the covenant law, and in some translations, it just says he took the tables of the testimony, but that may not be clear. It's the tablets that God had written on, the second pair of stone tablets that God had written uh, his commandments on. And he placed them in the ark, and he attached the poles to the ark and put the atoning cover over it. And so here we see this, that after the consecration, there's one more thing to do, and that's to put the, the um, Torah 
as it had been given at that point through the tablets of stone to put that in the ark so that it has the central central place it's so important now with that in mind one more detail i hope this doesn't seem like too much but i want you to grasp how significant the Torah and the scriptures were, and how the stone tablets as the, um, the first deposit of Torah, if you will, how the stone tablets were essential and um, of utmost importance. It's, this passage is 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 9. It's a little obscure for people. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 9 says, there was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord had made a covenant with the Israelites after they'd come out of the land of Egypt. That's so fascinating that there was this certain moment. It was some time later, but the certain moment when it was only the tablets that were in the ark. And you know what that shows us is that the scriptures themselves have a central place of importance to us, and our need is to give them that place and to give Yeshua the place as the ultimate interpreter of the scriptures, and to give the Holy Spirit the place as the one who will lead us into all the truths of the scriptures. But what's necessary? Our minds our minds, our ways of thinking have to be opened up. That's my heart tonight. That's my prayer as well. I'm praying for myself, Lord, keep my mind open to you so that I can comprehend the big picture and the details. And it's my prayer, not just for me, but it's a prayer that I have for all of you, especially for, for those that are coming from strong religious backgrounds, whose impact has been both positive, but there's also some clutter that you may not even recognize that has become, in effect, rubble that needs to be cleared away. I pray for you that your minds could be opened up so that you could comprehend what the scriptures actually say, what they mean, and you could put together a complete understanding with the help of Yeshua and the Holy Spirit. So thank you for joining in this uh, Torah study tonight. And I want to invite you again to join us tomorrow, live from the sanctuary and live from home. We'll have a live stream um, of what's happening in the sanctuary and also from our home. And we're going to have a Torah service and we're going to have wonderful live worship. And we're going to have uh, a great time studying and praying together. So we're going to close now with Aaron's blessing, but um, would you consider standing with us financially? And if this live stream is a blessing to you, or if our Messianic Jewish Teachings podcast or our sanctuary services are a blessing to you, would you consider blessing our ministry? All the information you need can be found on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. And now we'll have Aaron's blessing, and then we'll have a final worship song from Eric Painter. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasemlecha. Shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us from Sandy and me. We say Shabbat Shalom. Hope you can join us tomorrow for a live stream tour service live from the sanctuary. And now a final worship song from Eric Painter. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. <laughs>